Okay, so we're in this homily series that we've been doing for the last three weeks, and we've got this one in the next week still to go, uh, talking about the state of the church. Like, what is it that's going on in our church today? And you got to kind of set the table for that. So that's what we've been doing a few weeks ago. We talked about the purpose and the mission of the church. What is it that Jesus has in mind when he established his church, which is the Catholic church on the rock of Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? What is it that he has in mind for this church? And what he has in mind is for his church to be something of a light for the nations. In other words, a place or a a people that others can see and see that they're radiating his divine presence on earth so that they can see this and, and in some ways be checked a bit, right, on the ways of the world, which the ways of the world tend to stray from God's ways. And so t- for this community to check and say, like, no, there's another way to live. And then from there, that, that checking or that, that radiating of his light can perhaps draw some people to want to join and say, you know, that does seem like a better way. And so I actually want, I want to be a part of that. That's, that's the idea. And so the primary task of the church then is to form people in that way, to, to make disciples ultimately is what Jesus talks about, to go and make disciples. And how is it that disciples are made? Disciples are made through the sacraments, beginning with baptism and then through the other sacraments. And disciples are made by being taught, by being instructed to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. So that if, if we want to be disciples of Jesus, it's not just that I can vaguely say that I'm a disciple. It's that, no, I, there are actually standards that I can look at to see, like, am I actually a disciple of Jesus? Am I actually following his commandments, following the commandments that the church lays out for me? Right, so that's, that's like the purpose. That's the mission of the church, the primary task of it. Then a, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the church throughout Scripture, which actually, in so many ways, so it's not the Christian church, but in so many ways, we can go back to Old Testament times and we can see that God's people have had this call from him to be a light for the nations, even from Old Testament times. And, and of course, into New Testament times, into the times of the church. And what we see in scripture is, is that there's a struggle actually, even within God's people, to actually live out their calling, to live out of the high calling, the high standard that God sets for his people. They struggle to really do this. Sometimes they're holy and righteous people, and, and a lot of it seems to be based on the leadership of the people. If the leadership is holy and righteous, then it seems like the people tend to follow suit. Uh, but if the leadership is, is poor, is unrighteous, is wicked, then the people follow suit then too, generally speaking. Uh, and so we saw this struggle, between, like this back and forth between trying to live for the Lord and being caught up in, in worldliness and so being swept away with the world. And this last week we saw carries throughout history. This isn't just like a biblical thing. This is something that carries throughout history. We can look at 2,000 years worth, just about 2,000 years worth of church history, and we can see this same pattern repeating itself over and over and over again, that the Lord, throughout history, he raises up, he calls men and women to follow him, and men and women uh, heroically, um, courageously follow after that call. They, they, they embrace it, and they live, and we call these people like saints, ultimately, people who, who cling to the Lord and cling to his ways and cling to his church. And so they, they set the example, they truly are a light radiating for the world, which is attractive, which is also challenging. But we also see throughout church history that there are other people within the church, sometimes leaders, sometimes not, not leaders, but we see that there are other people throughout church history that, that fail, that don't even try, it seems like, to live up to the high standard, the high calling that God gives for his people. And so even within the church throughout history, within the church, there's this battle between like good and evil and And yet last week we talked about how none of it's really surprising to the Lord because he knows that within his own 12 apostles, there's Judas, of course, who betrays him. And then among the other 11, 10 of them abandon him when he's on the cross. So so even even within that close group of like closest friends of Jesus, there's this struggle 
to live up to the calling of God. And so like the, the struggle that Jesus sees throughout, throughout history, that we see throughout history, it's not surprising to him, but instead somehow it's, it's ordained by him. And yet within that struggle, God still calls to you and he still calls to me to be those holy and righteous men and women who rise above, who, who rise to the occasion to follow after the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly. So we talked about last week, a couple of really big moments, monumental moments throughout history. The first one coming in the 1500s, where, where Martin Luther and John Calvin and a few others decide not to push back against church authority, but to openly rebel against church authority with what we call the Protestant revolt. They, 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 they protest the church, the authority that Jesus gives to his church that he established uh, in the 1500s. And so what does this do? This causes a massive division among the Christian people, a massive division where now people freely break from the standard that is set by the Lord they freely break from the worship that has always been present in the Christian church. They freely break from the doctrine that had been consistent for that, up to that point for 1,500 years. Even in the midst of, of corrupt leadership, there was a standard doctrine that was consistent, and now they're breaking from that, and that caused a lot of problems for the people of God. And then we looked also at the Second Vatican Council that took place in the 1960s when all the bishops of the world got together because they, they wanted to teach as, as one group of bishops, which they have done throughout history. And when they did this, uh, it, it wasn't that what they taught was corrupt. It's that leadership in the church, certain leaderships, priests and bishops, they took what the council taught and they misinterpreted intentionally. They misapplied it intentionally. And they started straying, again, from the consistent doctrine that the church has always taught and started to preach differently, focusing much more on feelings, focusing much more on, on like the gray area rather than the clear teaching that the church has always had. What's more, a lot of the leadership in the church, they started uh, taking the mass and making their own little adjustments to it. So that the mass we could stay was still, was still valid, but they started to add their own little arbitrary decisions. So that, so that what? The people of God, ultimately, they saw what was going on, and there was this, this mass, like, exit from the church. There was confusion in a lot of people. And I didn't live through it. You, a lot of you did, though. You saw it happen before your eyes. A lot of you, like you saw your children leave the faith. You saw your brothers or sisters leave the faith. Maybe you saw your parents leave the faith. Because something was happening within the church that, that caused a dramatic decrease in mass attendance, a dramatic decrease in people attending the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Something was happening within the church that, that caused a lot of problems. And on top of that, we saw that a lot of the clergy were living with this immoral behavior. They, they weren't living appropriately in so many ways, especially in ways by, by bringing harm to people, especially to children. So that, that, of course, has had so many effects. And so now, now when we look at the state of the church today, when we look at our current situation, which is what we're looking at today, we see that all of these things have had dramatic effects on, on the laity and have had dramatic effects on the clergy as well. So what, what do we see ultimately when we look at the church, the current state of the church, is we see that we're a very sick church. We're very unwell. How do I know that? I know that because, because I can see the symptoms. So before, before I get into the symptoms, um, a really big disclaimer, really, really big disclaimer. You guys know that I do this from time to time, that I speak in sweeping generalities, uh, knowing full well that some of those generalities apply to you, but not speaking about them because they apply to you. So I'm aware that what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes is quite offensive to some people. And 
I'm not talking about it because I intend to offend you, but I'm talking about it because it's necessary to talk about, because the church and her leaders, of which I am one, has a, a responsibility, a primary task of forming people tr in true doctrine, forming people to be disciples of Jesus, not pretend, but forming people according to what the church and what the scriptures actually teach. So when I look at the church and I see that it's, it's very sick, it's very unwell, I can see the symptoms. It's just like if I have a really bad cough and a sore throat and I try to exercise and I, I, I get really worn out really quickly, I know because of the symptoms that I see, I know that I'm sick, right? Or if my arm has like a throbbing pain and it just doesn't go away, it's just there and it's there and it's there. It's like, I might not know what's wrong with my arm, but I know that I'm sick because the symptoms are there. So I can see there are very symptoms, lots, lots and lots of symptoms in the church today that reveal that the church is very sick. Like I said, both among the laity and among the clergy. So we'll look at the laity first. So just some basic things, like discipleship, for example. To be a disciple, I've talked about this before, to be a disciple of Jesus means that I'm a student of his. I learn from him for the one purpose of imitating him. I learn from him the way that he speaks, the way that he acts, the way that he thinks even, so that I can begin to think like him. I can begin to act like him. I can begin to speak like him so that my life begins to look like him. We ask, we ask ourselves this question, like how many people in the church today are earnestly seeking to think like Jesus, are earnestly seeking to, to speak like him, to act like him? Right? In, in the early church, it says in the Acts of the Apostles, that book that comes right after the Gospel of John, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that the early Christian disciples, that is the early people who believed in Jesus, because in biblical times, to believe in Jesus meant being a disciple, that's something that we've maybe gotten a little bit confused in today's world. But the early Christian disciples, they committed themselves, they were, they were devoted to four things. So to be devoted to something, it means you're committed to it, you're, you're, you love it, you're eager for it. They were eager for what? For the apostles' teaching, for the fellowship, for the breaking of bread, and for the prayers. These are four things. And if these are four things that are present in the early Christian disciples, it would make a lot of sense to say, well, these are four things that should be present in today's Christian disciples. So they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Just think about this. How many people do you know? And for you yourself, are you committed to regularly studying the Bible? Are you committed to regularly reading the Bible? How many people do you know who are? Like they're, they're daily, maybe, reading the Bible and studying it. They were committed to fellowship, not just like hanging out with friends, but they were committed to authentic Christian fellowship. How many people do you know who are committed to that? How many people do you know who even would be able to say what that means? I don't think I know many people. They were committed to what? To the breaking of bread. What's the breaking of the bread? Well, where do we see that? We see that at the Last Supper, where Jesus takes bread and wine, he breaks it, he blesses it, and he says, take this and eat of it. This is my body. Of course, this is the mass. They were committed to the mass not just committed to it, but like that was the center of their life, the priority of theirs. How many people do you know who like the mass is the center of their life? And again, not just like so much attending, but like being aware of what they're attending. How many people do you know who intentionally say like, you know what, I'm, I'm going, like this is the high point of my life, the high point of my week, so I want to dress for the occasion. This is the high point of my life. This is the high point of my week. So when I come, I don't want to be distracted. So I'm not going to chat with anyone. I'm just going to, I'm going to focus and be in to the mass. How many people do you know who, like when they, when they come to Mass or, or if, they, if there's ever a chance that they might miss because they're sick or because of some sort of emergency, it actually makes a difference in their life where they say, gosh, I feel like I really missed out on something. 
Whereas, whereas maybe, maybe the more common experience is like, well, they should just be glad that I came. God is so happy that I'm just here. Or, you know, like I'm here, but it doesn't matter if I, if I pay attention or not. You know, I, I, could, I could take it or leave it. it doesn't, like, I don't really know the difference between Catholic and Lutheran or, you know, whatever. So, you know, what, if I make it to mass, that's great. If I make it to some Lutheran service, that's great too, you know. Or if I just watch on computer, you know, whatever. Like, how, like I think our general experience is the, more the second category than the first category, right? But they were devoted to this. And so we can ask ourselves, am I devoted to this? They were devoted, what, to the prayer. How many people do you know who, ta- who intentionally take time every day, substantial time for prayer? I know for, for, for so much of my life, my prayer life included like the last three or four minutes before I fell asleep at night, just going through my list of people that I wanted to like name to God. Rather than taking like 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes, maybe an hour of prayer every day. Where, yeah, maybe I spend some time praying for people, but I, I also like just sit in silence, reflecting or, or, or reading scripture or just sitting in silence, knowing that I'm with God. They were devoted to this. Are we devoted to it? Right? So my, my experience as a priest is that very few people are devoted to all four of these things. Even or Very few people are even devoted to one of these things. So what does that mean? It means that in the church today, there are very few people who are actually disciples of Jesus. And that includes people who come to Mass. Some, some people have this mentality of like, well, I come to Mass, that's got to be it, right? No, the, the goal is discipleship. It's not only about coming to Mass. Of course, it includes coming to Mass, but it's, it's about so much more than that. It's about this, this like relationship that is meant to encompass my entire life. There are very few disciples in the church today. That's, of course, a big problem, right? Because the goal, the primary responsibility of the church and her leaders is to form disciples. And so if there are very few, we can ask the question, well, what happened? The only answer really can be that the leadership of the church has failed to form people to be disciples. Now, it's certainly true that sometimes the leadership of the church can do a really good job of teaching people things and people can just outright reject it. That's, that's absolutely true. But we can't run into a problem where we're at right now where there are so few disciples that, like, yeah, sure, some people have rejected it, but many people probably haven't heard what I'm talking to you about right now. Many people have probably not heard, like, oh, it's not just about coming to Mass and, like, not killing people. Like, they haven't really heard that. They've, they've only heard that you just got to come to Mass. It's like, no, it's, it's much more than that. It's a whole life kind of thing. Right, so that's, that's like one basic symptom that's, that's like a really big symptom, of course, but it's one basic symptom that reveals that there are problems in the church that we're very sick. On top of that, on top of that we, have, we have a bunch of other things. Like we have these five precepts of the church to, to come to mass each and every Sunday throughout the year and every holy day of obligation, to confess your sins to a priest at least one time each year, to receive holy communion at least one time during the Easter season to uh, keep the days of fasting and abstinence from meat, to provide, help to provide for the material needs of the church. We have these five basic ground rules that are like, if you're gonna be an active practicing member of this church, you gotta do these at least five things. And again, most people haven't even heard about them. And I can say this because I didn't really hear about them until maybe like my fourth or fifth year in seminary. And so it's like, what happened? How did we get to this point? Again, it's like a failure in leadership. Where it's like, I, I know that I can't force you to believe this stuff. I can't force you to practice these things. But, but if I don't, as a leader, if I don't lay out the standard for you, then I'm failing in a massive way. Right? So like there's been a massive failure in leadership. We, we, have, we have a whole bunch of people in our church today who if push came to shove, they would choose to remain faithful to their political beliefs before they would be faithful to their religious beliefs. So that if there was like a presidential candidate who was openly opposed to something that Catholics believe, 
like abortion, for example, or he was in favor of it that Catholics are against, plenty of people would say, well, I'm going to vote for that guy anyway. Right? Like this is, this is a big problem that we would rather cling to our, our faithfulness to our political party or to our sports team than, or, or to, to our family maybe than we would to faithfulness to God and his church. That's a big problem. It's like, it's like the, and as a preacher who wants to be faithful to the church, right? And this isn't like how, how great I am, but as a, as a preacher who wants to be faithful to the church, what is it? Well, I'm, it feels like I'm constantly begging people to just give Catholicism a shot. Right? I'm constantly begging people like, no, this is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it, right? Rather than in the Gospels, what do we see? We see people coming up to Jesus and begging him to let them follow him. It's like we've taken, we've taken what we see with Jesus in the Gospels and we've flipped it upside down. That's the state of the church today. And, and this is the thing. It's not just for the laity. It's, it's for the clergy as well. Because when I look at the state of the clergy, the priests and the bishops and the pope, I see that the mess continues all the way up to the Pope, where there's, there's divisions and rivalries among bishops, among priests, where there are certain leaders in the church who have begun what? They've begun teaching something that is contrary or that, that sure seems contrary to the consistent doctrine that has been found throughout church history. Right? There's, there's certain leaders in the church who are causing all kinds of confusion, all kinds of chaos, and encouraging people in their sin rather than calling people out of their sin. That's, that's a tough place to be. Because, it, again, it shows not that the church is, is not the church that Jesus established. It just shows that the church that Jesus established is very sick. And so we're kind of left with this question of like, okay, well, what, what am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do about that? And there's not really a clear answer. We'll talk more about that next week. But I think, I think the answer ultimately lies in what it always has been, which is to answer the call to discipleship. I don't, I don't want to make this seem too simple. Like, it is confusing. It is difficult when the leadership of the church, whether that's the pope, right, or, or bishops or whatever, or it, it's really difficult and confusing if they're teaching things that don't seem to match up with the consistent doctrine that has been present for 2,000 years. It does, that is confusing, it's difficult, it's frustrating. Absolutely. I don't want to minimize that. And yet at the same time, if I find myself placing more stock in the priest or in the bishop or in the pope than in Jesus and in the church's doctrine, then I'm, I'm misplacing my hope. That doesn't mean I can't look to those people for wisdom, for, for uh, preaching, for their teaching. It doesn't mean that I can't look to them, but, but if in looking to them, I find that something doesn't seem to match up, that's okay. Because we've seen that throughout history, there have been problematic people. And that in those moments of being problematic, what does the Lord do? He still calls forth men and women, <clears throat> laity and clergy alike. He still calls them forth to be holy, to be faithful to his gospel to his doctrine. And that's, that's at least the beginning of the answer. You heard me talk about this, how there are very few disciples in the church today. Maybe you're one of those disciples, and if that's the case, praise the Lord for that. But maybe you're not. And maybe the Lord is calling you to say, you know what? Maybe it's time for you to take a step in faith, even in the midst of a messy church. Maybe the Lord is calling you to take a step forward and say, I think I'm ready. 
I think I'm ready to finally become a disciple where I'm going to be faithful to what the church teaches. I'm going to be faithful to the precepts. I'm going to be faithful to what these early Christian disciples had in their life. I want to bring those things into my life as well. I might not always know what the heck I'm doing. I might not always do it perfectly. But that's, that's where the Lord's gift of mercy and reconciliation comes in. That's where the Lord's strength of, of his charity, of his power comes in the sacraments and in, in the Eucharist and the other sacraments that we can receive. I'm going to take that step and I'm going to rely on the grace of God to bring me wherever it is that he wants me to go. But it begins with this step. So maybe the Lord wants you to take it.